0: Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Monday, January the 23rd, 2023. And it has been a while, but today I am continuing my discussion of the eight teachings with Mishiquan. And you may uh, recall that we previously discussed forgiveness and love. And today's topic is what? Truth. Truth. Oh, my God. That does sound difficult. But why don't we begin with if you could briefly introduce yourself and how you came to be part of this podcast?
1: Uzu, Mizukwan, Indago, Makwan, Dundam, Dunji. Uh, my name's my English name's Janine Seymour, and um, I'm from uh, Treaty Three and Rat Portage, Ontario. This is where I am currently. Um, when we start, uh, we talk about introducing ourselves to not just one another, but the spirits who are present with us, and so that identification is is really important. It's it's customary. Um, even when we're doing this virtually. So there's there's protocols that we still follow that have been passed down the lines. And um, I'm very grateful actually for your, your podcast and the opportunity to talk about who we are as a people and, and our culture and our traditions and our beliefs and to explore how does this work and where we find ourselves in, in Canada today, right?
0: All right, that is great. And if I might add, uh, for anybody who is interested in going to law school and becoming a lawyer, I think that this is an opportunity to hear from a tremendous role model, uh, who is a licensed lawyer in Ontario, graduate of the University of Manitoba Law School, I think, and with an LLM as well, meaning Masters of Law. So. Congratulations on all those achievements, but now on to the more important issue of truth. I think that I'm gonna to have to let you
1: lead with this one. I'll start by, um, when we're in, when, I'm going with a legal audience right now, okay? And uh, one of the first things that we learn is is know your audience, right? So when we're we're when we're performing, when we're when we're in court, when we're when we're doing what we do as a practice of law, knowing your audience is really really important. Um, say for the judge, right? This is what part of their their role and their capacity. Truth, though, in our culture, as we know and what we understand, isn't black and white. It's it's not um, one truth that exists. And for us and how we come in a community, right? In a, in a larger, when everybody has their own truth, it's actually really important for people to stand in their truth, to speak their truth. And that way, when conflict happens, right? We come and we have an understanding of everyone's truth and how that works together. Because two things can exist and be true at the same time, even if they are contradictory, right? Well, I I think that is is absolutely right. I don't think
0: I've ever heard it put quite that way, but I think that's exactly right. Or to to put another way, uh, there can be uh, multiple existing realities. But not everybody would agree with that, would they? Not everybody would agree. So would would tolerance, you know, we hear the word tolerance, right? Acceptance. Would tolerance and acceptance sort of include the existence of
1: multiple realities? Whereas truth is it could be sunny here and I could say it's a beautiful day out truth could be on your end it's actually a terrible day you're in a snowstorm down in Toronto and it's the worst place to be in a snowstorm right
0: well not only that but I think you could probably have two people in Toronto who would say wow this is the greatest (laughs) day we've ever had and somebody would say oh my god this is terrible (laughs) so a recognition of multiple realities right I mean wouldn't that be sort of uh you know, the foundation of uh, a sort of a modern democracy, a free and democratic society, would you think?
1: Yes, yeah,
0: absolutely. And a lack of tolerance for multiple realities would perhaps be the opposite, a more totalitarian type of society. Would that be reasonable?
1: The tolerance I'm struggling with, I am in our in our language, right? Because again, we're converting like from my our original language into an English so we can have this reality, right? Where we coexist right now. Right. Um I, I would uh I'd use understanding. Understanding and so um, as,
0: as opposed yeah. to tolerance. You know, yeah. that is really, really interesting because my first thought on that is how much language shapes our culture, right? You know, how, you know, our cultures are really, uh, you know, just an extension or a function of language. Now, so I speak only English, all right, which I say with no pride, okay, but it's just an objective fact. You obviously speak English, but what is your mother tongue? Um,
1: Up here, it's Anishinaabeg and uh, Ojibwe, but frankly, with the evolution of technology and everything, I'm finding there's a there's a slang or a street, right? So we're taking traditional words and we're shortening them so we can all speak this like a slang, a more colloquial way.
0: And what is the impact of that on sort of, uh you know, the ability to make sort of fine differentiations
1: and thought, that sort of thing. Uh, it's very impactful. So for myself, I think that's why I, I pushed myself into law, right, Just to be as articulate as possible. Um, know your audience, right? And um, I do find though that there is this, this common general with indigenous peoples. Even even when they come with different mother tongues, right? So this, this, uh, this, um, this code, I guess I'll, I'll say, right now is widely understood with other indigenous peoples and tribes and nations, and I think that's important.
0: So so it's it's sort of a commonality of language. Is that what you're saying? We, we in
1: understand. Yeah, in understanding. So if we can understand one another, if we can understand within our own multi generational, right? And then that increases our ability to understand with a different, say, a different country,
2: even,
0: right? Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, we, we talked about, or rather, you identified, uh, you know, eight, general themes, right? of we have forgiveness, love, and we have truth. And um, let me ask you, you know, I think it's easy to see why forgiveness and love are right up there. all right. But given that, there are multiple truths, right? Okay. Why is truth one of the one of the eight topics that you've designated here?
1: For myself, I feel that the ability for people to speak their truth hasn't, um, it hasn't been afforded within our our wider society. Let's take residential schools, okay? Let's take a concept that Canadians should know something about, right? Do they? Do they? Anything. They should know that residential schools existed or existed, you know, in Canada. Do do
0: they have a consciousness of that
1: generally? No, I don't. And this is exactly why I chose truth is that the people need to speak their truth. There needs to be a place, an avenue or something even within their own families to talk about the truth of residential schools. And I mean, the people, right? Not just um, survivors or students, staff, their, uh, their families went to school too, right? So here I'm speaking from the residential school capital of Canada, like their own children, non-Indigenous children also went to those schools, right? They witnessed a lot of the stuff. People down the street, right? There's a lot of truth that has to come forward and those people need to talk. Those people need to have that um,
0: space to do so. And I, I infer from what you're saying that you feel they're they're not talking and they don't feel they have the space. Correct? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, it would obviously be an incredibly stupid question. I think to ask why is that the case, right? So I'm not going to ask the question that way, but to try to bypass a little bit, but. Let me try it this way. What would have to happen? All right, what conditions would have to arise that would give people, may I use the word, the safety, the incentives, whatever, to have these kinds of discussions?
1: Healing, I think uh, speaking your truth, right? So if, if we have family squabbles, which we do, everybody does in society, um, and a difference of a perspective of something that happened historically within a family, okay? I'm talking abuse. <laughs> right? And if we have a, a difference with them, um, uh, child, mother, and grandmother perspective, right? A different accounting, a different understanding. And um, what we say in our culture is, is even if they don't agree with that person or, or you know that don't remember even or, or whatever, they're speaking their truth. There's an acknowledgement and there's an honoring, right? That, that happens um, for that person. But it's an individual basis. And that accountability, I think, starts there with that individual person.
0: For the individual person to do what exactly?
1: Stand in their truth, speak their truth. So, the first part is when I said stand in their truth is, is to own that, whatever that is. And, and to, that
0: would uh, t- taking responsibility
1: for whatever the truth is. Exactly. To on an, yeah, on their own basis. And then there's that articulation, right? There's that action of the speaking next that follows.
2: So, is it a reasonable inference
0: for what you're saying that? I mean, obviously, okay. Uh, So, speaking of truth is necessary for the individual. Okay, for sure. But it's also absolutely necessary to develop an accurate uh, sort of historical documentation of all of this stuff right
2: yeah and
0: you presumably would agree that they really that an accurate historical documentation would be sorely lacking presumably you would agree with that right yeah so Let's imagine that you know you are you find yourself in a position to sort of direct uh, whatever needs to be ha- happening to gradually develop a long term evolution resulting in truth, awareness, whatever. What would you do?
1: So, um, first of all, for that individual, and and what I do do is I role model, right? Um, I'm quite (laughs) known for speaking my truth. And uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, this comes from a long generational line. So uh, an aunt of mine, um, residential school survivor, frequently talks about you know she'll have a, a job and she'll be terminated within a week because she's speaking her truth, and she won't stop, right? Um, and this is advocacy uh, for for women, for for vulnerable women and survivors and uh, their descendants, right? So on an individual level, it's as easy as role modeling it, right? So not only do I speak my truth, but I also when you when you said like on a on a, a um, on a larger scale, I'd uh, allow for that space for multiple truths to to be heard. So some people have had um, positives, you know, whether they're isolated um, through residential school, right? Whether that was the only time where they were they had food.
0: Yeah, so it's it's not it's not as simple, you know. I mean, I, I guess that I would guess that a lot of the the images that people have of the stuff are really caricatures, right?
1: And they're, you know, they they are truthful. So um, in my own family, uh, my my grandmother when she was uh, Alzheimer's end of life, there, and uh, all she she wouldn't remember me or, or the other alive family members, but she would remember the porridge and, and the rotten food at residential school and being force fed. And so she that, chose. Her. That is absolutely incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and so I think too, that is true, right? That is her truth. And um, the traumatic, the negative, the those horrible experiences really do stay with you. And if there's no healing, right, that, that has ever happened in that lifetime and that lifespan, then where does that leave us collectively? Right, is, is where you're getting to. Where are we in in a society when that is there lingering, right? Sure.
0: Well, you maybe you can try to answer that. Where does that leave you?
1: I think that leaves us where we all find ourselves. Uh, I don't truly believe that anybody is is happy with uh, where we find ourselves as a society. I truly believe that. And I I even, you know, I'm including the 1%, that top tier. I, I don't believe they are satisfied of where we collectively find ourselves. So
0: you're speaking very broadly outside your community as well
1: when you say that. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, do you think that that uh, maybe let's not use the word unhappiness, but sort of a lack of satisfaction? Do you think that's, that's lack of satisfaction? Do you think that's part of the human condition generally, or do you think that this is, you know, the inevitable result of the
1: kind of world we live in? I think this is the result. So, uh, what we believe is we, you know, come from the stars and we're descended down. So we're spiritual beings just having a physical human existence here and the human existence and the human reality is, is very flawed, very tortured, very painful. And all walks of life have a a long history of this. Right. And that's why I'm saying in, in a whole global aspect, that's why I don't believe anybody is is satisfied here. Like we are carrying that that um, that, that unresolvedness with us. It's still cycling through. So it just sort of transmutes
0: itself from generation to generation. Absolutely.
1: And isn't it crazy that the basis of my, you know, in my rational thinking here is because we haven't, on an, an, an individual basis, been speaking our truth.
0: Um, well, I, maybe I, it sounds to me like the concept is more than not speaking the truth. I think what you're really suggesting is a suppression a suppression of speaking the truth, or rather, conditions that certainly discourage people, you know, from speaking the truth, that's for sure. Um, so, I live, as you know, in Toronto. And, you know, there's all walks of life in Toronto for sure. Uh, there's also um, a very large number of, um, Second generation immigrant families, many of whom arrived in Canada after World War II. And, you know, there are certain certain communities where it's very, very clear have been enormously and permanently affected, right, by some of the atrocities of the Second World War, not the current generation, but you know, the previous generation. And of course, you know, all of this is carried down. I have
2: long been of the opinion that it would be a good thing,
0: uh, you know, for for the world as a whole, right? For many of these experiences you know, to be permanently documented. You know, like what happened in people's lives. You know, that led to this incredible degree of, of trauma. You know, of which the effects just carry from one generation to the next to the next. But people won't won't
2: do that. They won't talk about this. Why?
1: I, I personally feel, and this is just again personally from what I've gone through and in, in our own family, um, but it, there's guilt. There's guilt for uh, people who didn't speak, who look the other way, right? Why we got to where we are is, is that silence, that uh, um, condemnation right of, of that. And uh,
2: so, guilt
1: if unresolved and, and left, uh, prolonged goes into shame and shame is a really, really big thing to carry. And, um, I think that's where people get, uh, stuck on that. Unresolved guilt would go to this really deep rooted shame and, um, just shut down from there. So, so we have we have all of this resulting
0: in shame in relation to things that people had no control over.
2: Have I got that right?
1: Yes. And what they do control now though, right. When you have that, that knowledge, that awareness is your response to that. So make a different decision now. Uh, what do you know better, do better. Right. Mm-hmm yeah
2: but of course all that
0: requires you know i think a lot of courage doesn't it a lot of courage
1: there's there's a lot of other there's yeah those are the other teachings there that you need right but your truth when you said that documentation that recording that's the first thing i thought of is that know your audience right you're speaking from your perspective and to make sure that you ground it there so I, I do know like say survivors, right? in my own family and, and their truths from what they've shared, right? But I would have, um, like you had said, really appreciated that recording.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, of their, their truth. And for me and in, in my comprehension, I think um, that also would lead to a, that healing that is necessary for an individual
0: so without truth there can be no healing
2: for me yes do you think
0: generally
1: that's a big concept I'm well you. I think so that's what we've seen right
2: yeah So, you know, you, you really, um, by thinking about these things, are, you know, it seems to me
0: creating a, an enormously large moral imperative or responsibility for yourself, right? On yourself
2: to bring these thoughts into
0: the community, right? Yes? Is that a yes?
1: Through, through role modeling through practice through doing right yes so that's,
0: that's really amazing stuff really amazing so what are you doing now like how do you just you know it's pretty hard to do earth shattering big things you know with instant results right i mean i think that uh you know, who was it that said that 99% of life is just showing up, the showing up is more important, you know, than, than other things. So how do you, you know, if we use that idea, what are the things you do every day to just kind of show up, right, to encourage the kinds of things we're talking about, the sharing of truth, the taking of responsibility, the understanding, and how, how does somebody, you know,
1: affect that kind of change? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm learning we're all learning right we're all flawed <laughs> humans here and um I'm really learning to show up for myself actually and that's been a learning you Show up, show up for yourself yes
0: all right that's interesting so that to me suggests that you
1: haven't always shown up for yourself yes I've, I've absolutely put others um before me and as a mother, that's uh, that's been something I've been reconciling. Well,
0: you, can, you know, you can still, are they mutually exclusive? Show up for yourself doesn't mean you're not showing up for others. Maybe showing up for yourself is how you show up for others sometimes.
1: Water sometimes time. it has been, yes. But I really need to pay attention to every sign my body tells me. Mm-hmm yeah to show up for myself and you know we're in that pandemic still right so your your health those are your reactions your body your physical response right i'm prioritizing now okay well that <laughs> sounds good i mean that could never be the wrong thing to do as long as
0: long as it's, a lot, it's <laughs> lots done in the spirit of generosity i suppose so are you at this stage so i mean i know that uh i mean we first got connected through your uh wanting to get involved politically you know in the, in the last election what are your thoughts on that at the present time are you yeah planning on continuing that or
1: i actually um
2: i think so you should What's th- just what I-
1: the physical Health. Um, I, I found myself in a merge. So, just down at the hospital and getting checked out, blood work, you know, the whole works. I had some really good care. And then the doctor shows up, and the doctor kind of comes at the end um, here, and they they recognize my name, and the whole energy just shifted. So, prior to that, I, I was, you know, had quite a few nurses. I'm gonna say maybe seven nurses. I was, uh, or RNs, or you know whatever their professional. You're surrounded by seven RNs. Yeah, whatever their professional designation. Oh my god! And uh, yeah, think you'd make a movie out of. And the doctor comes through, and the first thing out of their mouth was, "I donated a lot of money to your campaign." (laughs) What's that supposed
0: to mean?
1: So politically um we have talked about this from time to time that there's this uh there's been a shift of engagement right or perceived engagement so historically right you'd, you'd vote you'd get you know engaged that way and i'm finding that the people who have that uh have that luxury frankly are, are professionals are people who are in, um, positions to, to, um, yeah, to be able to be part of that, uh, system engagement, right?
0: Well, I think that those people clearly do. It's not that other people don't. I mean, I think there's two ways to be able to do things in life. The first is if you're reasonably well-established, um, you know, and therefore you have the luxury of Right. Know, i think you're talking largely financial resources and that sort of thing
1: right? a lot you know, in life be,
2: yep
0: you know to be able to do that, that's the first way <clears throat> but the second way is um remember an old janice joplin song freedom is nothing left to lose mm. the second way is if you have nothing mm. <laughs>
1: right so there's two right. kinds of people you're right yes yes there's yes a- people you
0: know the problem is if you're in the middle
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) you know that's where it becomes difficult so maybe maybe a thing that you need to do Mm. is get rid of every worldly possession you have Mm. learn to you know live on almost no money at all and then you'll be completely free to do all these things right
1: Well, it's funny is I I have been going to a lodge and getting spiritual advice and spiritual direction to help me with my health issues, right? And uh, it's funny, because that has been indirectly what has been happening on a personal level in my life. So I think you might be onto something quite, uh, yeah, quite accurate here.
0: Well, I really want to tell you that you know, at this stage of my life, I can look back and say I've had periods of, you know,
1: relative wealth
0: and I've had periods of relative poverty and I really can't tell the difference, <laughs> you know, honestly, in terms of, you know, what, what it may or may not have meant in terms of being able to create opportunities, et cetera.
1: So mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yes. I like that. An opportunity to create opportunities. I just got to reframe my mind around that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell me, though, about I'm always interested in um, how you see your role as a lawyer. And so you you know, you have this, you know, license to practice law, which these licenses to practice law are worth something for sure. Uh, even if you don't know anything, people imagine you might. Uh, you know, etc. Right? Does this at all? And I know you've been kind of retreating from that. And this is my way of saying, um, you know, retreat maybe, but don't shut the door on any of it. Um, you know, how do you how do you see your your role as a lawyer in enhancing? You know, your your work for your community.
1: It's funny that I've been, um, I've been forcing uh, some things in my in my journey, in my professional capacity. And I'm only learning now to, uh, flow and and to work with the movement, right? And I truly believe that me and my message to my community right now is saying, i'm not a lawyer i'm not practicing i am not doing this is validating the knowledge base that of of natural law right our our traditional laws Mm -hmm. and the people who hold those teachings and we call them teachings but they really are laws right because there's so much more people that are knowledgeable than than me i i can explain it in a like a western concept right and and those are some of my translator gifts or abilities but there are some amazing women um, and i would call them lawyers even though they don't carry all the licenses from canada in our in our culture and they're getting more um i guess opportunities that way interesting yeah it is interesting. And that wasn't a strategic move. I just got to clarify. I am going with the flow. this wasn't you know some thing designed <laughs> and moving all these you know mechanisms because as lawyers, I think there's uh, there's there's always that running in the back of our head. In the back of your head as a is running, what? It's like strategic play, right? <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: well, yeah, right. <laughs> that's the problem of being a lawyer, right um yeah very very interesting well this has been a great conversation as always i really really appreciate it and uh, we have more more teachings lessons to talk about but you know if you'd like to invite you to do a a brief sort of reader's digest summary of the importance of the truth and the role of place and actually you know we ought to talk about and how it interacts With love and forgiveness. Okay. So remember in our last discussion, we talked about how love and forgiveness interacted. And I wonder if I could, as we bring this to an end today, ask you to connect the dots a little bit here, right? We talked about truth, but we've also talked about love and forgiveness. And how how did truth and love and forgiveness interact?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I actually see truth as operation operationalized of love and forgiveness right so when um I, I briefly went down to that that shame and the spiral that we all um as a human you know experience would find ourselves in and to to step into that truth that maybe I have done these things maybe this as, you know but also the truth is I I am this I am that I am that right so I see truth as um, operationalized more in that sense. Very interesting. Yeah. And then or, I it another
0: think- way, truth is is necessary for uh, to give expression to love and forgiveness. Would yes.
2: yes. Okay.
0: Wow. Interesting.
1: And I also just wanted to say that truth there when you were talking about, um, you know, we're talking about an individual and a collective that um, when we do acknowledge the individual truth that someone brings, I think that goes a long way as that collective and our, in our society. Right. I
0: think it has to.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. All right.
0: Well, this has been great. And uh, you know, I, look forward to working on these other these other teachings with you so thank you very much and again uh this is john richard speaking with mish kwan and, or depending on your perspective janine seymour
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh enough for today thanks so much
2: me which.